0: Day nights we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. In the Old Testament, we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah, written by Nehemiah. And as we've looked at the first three chapters, here's a man who was, uh, the, the, the Lord touched him. The Lord called him to, for a very specific purpose and, and provided for him. We talked about this, you know, as, as he had this burden laid on his heart, to go back to Jerusalem from, the, from where he was in captivity, the, the children of Israel in captivity, this burden to go back to Jerusalem. Now, he's not, again, the first ones to go back. There have been a few groups to go back before him. More recently, Ezra, and they built the temple. But the, the city still hadn't had been able to reclaim itself because the walls hadn't been rebuilt. And we've, t- we've touched on that the last few weeks, that, that they were still very vulnerable and um, kind of sitting there, basically almost dormant, if you would, um, as a, as a nation trying to come back until the walls would be rebuilt. And he has this burden upon him, and so he fasts and he prays, and then he goes to the king, King Artaxerxes, and he and he asks, basically, would you would you send me back and send me everything that I need? And the king provides everything that he needs, and he gets gets back there, surveys the situation. And last week we looked in chapter three how it goes through, and it talks about how how all of the people just embraced this and the excitement around it. And they all, none of them were wall builders, but they all started building the wall and they all started redoing those, the, the, the projects that were all around, building in front of their homes, building back the walls, building back the gates, all of those things as it was going. And things are just clipping right along. And then we get to chapter four and we bring it this right. Now it came about when Ballot heard that there were rebuilding, they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was near him and said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. We were introduced to these guys back in chapter 2. I told you it wasn't the last time we'd see them. And we we see here just a a principle, guys, that we can embrace and own it just like anything else. It's just a fact. If we are going to step out boldly and do the work of the Lord... Especially and start building momentum and things start going, we can expect retaliation from the enemy. We can know that it's coming. We talked of that even as we've we moved along. There's two things that we know that we know that we know that we can know for certain. If we are doing the work of the Lord and the power of the Lord, we can expect his hand upon us and we can expect the enemy's hand against us. And here we see that. Clearly laid out again, things are moving along, things are going well, and we see the enemy coming against him. And the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that we shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. He hasn't changed his game plan a whole lot, and why should he? Because it works. When he comes against so many with, with his, this, it, it works again and again. And here we see the first one, it says that he mocked the, Jew, the Jews. He ridicules, he he laughs, he brings scorn against. And that's one of the enemy's first tactics. Whenever we step out, whenever we step out in faith, again, the Lord calling us to do things, impossible things in our own. And we understand that as we step out to do that. Rebuilding this wall was an an impossible task, really, when you looked at it, hugely, insurmountable, based on it, that's why it sat undone for so long. And you notice the enemy didn't have any problem as long as the wall stayed in in shambles and the, the wall was a wreck and nobody started. But once they started working, then the enemy stepped up. And you know what, quite honestly, the enemy doesn't have a real problem with us as Christians gathering together every once in a while and to sing praises as long as we just kind of stay together and we do our thing for an hour and then go home and we don't change our lives and we just kind of settle back in and do our thing. He doesn't really have a problem with that. He understands that as Christians, we're, you know, we're safe, we're secure. But when we start saying, okay, we're going to start taking ground back, we're going to start evangelizing, we're going to start sharing our faith, we're going to start living it out loud. That's when the enemy says, hold up, hold up. Who do you think you are? And then the ridicule comes and the scorn comes. It's interesting when we look at this, so many of us can say, you know what? You know that, that old saying, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. You know who says that? Hurt people. It's a way that they put up a defense that says, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody know it hurts, but... Um, it's interesting how people can stand bravely when they're shot at but collapse greatly when they're laughed at, when they're spoken against. And bottom line, this is some place that, that hits close to home for many. No doubt all of us could say, you know, there have been times in my life when words have come against me. And the, and the enemy uses tools all around. He'll bring it from all different directions. And we see this clearly here. It says, notice what he even comes and says. He spoke in the presence of his brothers, saying, what are these feeble Jews doing? Calling them out, saying, you can't do this. You're not, you're not strong enough to do this. You're way too weak. That word feeble means, you know, incapable because of, of weakness. The enemy comes comes against it you can't do this you're not smart enough you don't know enough you don't have enough experience you're not strong enough can I tell you that if that ever comes against you you should proudly wear that as a compliment knowing that that's the prereq one of the prerequisites that God uses he he uses the weak to shame the strong he uses the feeble to do that he uses the, 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 the unwise in the worldly eyes, the foolish in the worldly eyes to shame the wise. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians, he says in chapter four, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves, In earthen vessels, in, in clay jars. God put this treasure in clay jars. He didn't put them in, in iron, iron vessels, in clay vessels, weak, vulnerable. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. He says later on in In chapter 12, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh for Paul was. There's a whole lot of speculation. But if you read down through that, he says insults is part of that, part of the things that he faced regularly. And, and I know, insults hurt. They do. But when we looked at that earlier, we just said, you know, they're perplexed, but not crushed. They hurt, but they can't crush us as Christians. And we need to have, there's, there's a, a saying that's gone around for a while as Christians, and we get into this work, we need to have the heart of a dove, but the skin of a rhinoceros when you're in ministry. Because, again, the enemy knows. And the enemy knows it hurts. And the enemy knows it is an effective tool. That's, again, why he keeps on bringing it. But can I just, again, challenge you that if people say things against you, people ridicule you, people mock you, people cut you down, take that as a compliment. If people say, tell you that you're, you're not smart enough to do this, you're not strong enough to do this, Embrace that as a fact, because you're not. But in your weakness, God's strength comes through. And in that weakness, we, in, in his strength, we're strong. Identifying again that, that, it, it, that what they're saying is true in and of ourselves. If we can do what it is that we're trying to do in our own strength, it's not of God. Can I just tell you that? That's not God's call for you. God has something way bigger for you. Something that you can't accomplish on your own. And that's why we have to step out in faith, trusting in him. This project, again, as we've said before, no, nobody it, it couldn't have been done outside of the power of the Lord working in and through them. Enemy sees that furious coming against them. Who do you think you are? You think this is going to come up in a day? And then Tobiah, boy, he comes up with a real zinger. Even if a fox should jump on it, it'd fall down. Now, I don't know about you, but in my flesh, my response real quick would be something really sarcastic to come right back at him. And I'd be fighting back, and I'd want to stand up, and I'd want to I'd project and say, you know, who do you think you are? And, and, and get right into this back and forth. But we see really quickly that that is not what Nehemiah does. Notice verse 4, who he speaks to first. Hear, O our God how we are despised. Lord, are you hearing this? He goes to the Lord. He doesn't respond to Sanballat and Tobiah, even though to me that's, that's like, a, like a softball that Tobiah throws up. That's the best you got? And to go back after that? But again, that's what the enemy wants is for us to take our eyes off of the work at hand and to focus on that and to get out of, out of sorts Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, note this, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The Lord Jesus, no sin. He had all everything at his disposal, but it said he did not return fire. He did not fire back, it says, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And isn't that what, what we want in a situation like that, Lord, I, I want it all to work out. I want, I want justice to be done. Okay, I'm gonna trust you to take care of that and I'm gonna get back to work. Nehemiah asked God to fight the battle because God gave him a different job to do. And when we get caught up in those types of things, it so easily derails us. And we're gonna see as we get a little bit further along, it almost worked. It almost worked to get them sidetracked, get them completely off of the task that God set for them. Let's take a moment, though, and look at his prayer because it's a rather interesting one and I have some thoughts on it. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Hmm. it doesn't say, God forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He it doesn't, it doesn't say, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love my enemies and it's really hard, so help me with that. It almost reminds me of a couple of prayers that we see David writing in the Psalms. Lord, break their arm, kick their teeth in. <laughs> so are you telling me, Pastor Brett, it's okay to pray like that?
1: You want to, don't you? confession
0: time there's times when I do and let me just say that God knows our hearts and God knows that there's times when we when we need to when we need to just kind of blow off some steam you do that privately alone in your prayer closet you do not do that in a prayer meeting you don't do that on the phone with somebody else. You do that alone before the Lord in your prayer closet. And let me tell you, I've tried it. You'll get away with it for about 30 seconds. Because then again, the grace of God that he's extended to us starts flooding over you. And you get, you get to that point where it's like, okay, Lord, I've, I've, I've got it out of my system. I, I, I find it interesting would when when you read this prayer? Because it doesn't, it doesn't speak anything about the Lord's response. But I, I think if we jump ahead real quickly, if you look at verse 20, when he addresses the people again, notice he says, our God will fight for us. I think that through the process, and again, I'm, I'm interjecting here, it doesn't tell us that, but I think through the process, Nehemiah came to that point too, where it was like, okay, Lord, I got that off my chest. Now I'm going to leave it to you, the one who judges righteously. I'm going to let you handle it from here. I have work to do. I got to build the wall. Um, you didn't ask for my, my input anyway as to how to deal with this situation. So I'm just going to leave it in your hands and move forward here. I'm going to trust it to the one who judges righteously. I find it interesting that after this prayer, Lord, turn it back on them. Do that type of thing. God doesn't. The tax keep coming because God's not done doing what God's doing. Again, we talked of this on, on Sunday. Suffering that comes. The things that the Lord allows to come into our lives. There's the reality of suffering. There is the reality of these things that happen in our lives but knowing that the Lord is walking through it all with us. And because of that, there is restrictions on the suffering, and there's a reason behind it, and there's the results that come to us through it. And we'll see as we move, move through the, the subsequent chapters as we move forward, through this, 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 they don't go away. They keep coming back. But God keeps showing himself stronger and stronger. And Nehemiah and the people gain more the strength of the Lord and continue to work and to continue to follow after. And the wall gets built. And again, I remind you, 52 days. It sat torn down for decades. And nobody did it. They got to it. They got to the work. Even through all of this, 52 days, the wall gets built. You want to silence the enemies? You want to silence the critics? You want to silence those that come? Pray and get back to work. Their whole goal is to get you to stop working. So if they get you to back away from the work and and get, however that works, they've succeeded. And then also understand, though, as we move on to the next part here, verse six, so we built the wall. They got right back to it. He says this quick little prayer, Lord, I am frustrated with this. They're coming against us. Praise, so we built the wall. The whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work, literally a heart to work. God answered the prayer in the actions of the people. They, they, they doubled down, if you would, and built the wall to half its height. Now, because of that, we see the enemy, now he even gets more upset and goes to get some more, some more friends now then, now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair on the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were now, note, very angry. All of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. They see that the work continues to go on, and again, they become even more upset. When we look at the, the outline of what is talked about here, or the, the groups that are mentioned here, Sanballat, we know that he comes from north, up in the area of Samaria to the north. Uh, Tobiah, the Arabs, they, they're not, they're, that, the Arab, they're not Saudi Arabia, but the Arabs that we know that they're referring to there were from the south of Jerusalem. The Ammonites, located to the east, and the Ashdodites, that's in Philistine country, the west, up close uh, to the sea there. So they are completely now enemies all around them. Not only did they not go away, not only did God not grant that, it looks like now they've, they've multiplied in number. And I also see that too. It says they conspired together to come against the work of God. And isn't it a shame how God's people just struggle to work together for his purposes. That the enemies of God seem to come together united against his purposes. Again, I was just thinking through that again this week. I shared this with you last week if you were here. It's something that just, it really, it really bugs me. How the, the, the church of Christ is so divided how the body, we have, we have a mission. I mean, we all talk about mission statements and all this sort of stuff. We were given a mission to go and take the gospel to the world. We were go, to go and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are our marching orders. That is what we, as the body of Christ, are, are called to do. And the enemy is united to make sure that doesn't happen. And we're divided in our efforts to go out and make it happen. I think of the, again, the demon-possessed man that, you know, that that Jesus cast out the legion of demons. There were so many. They were united on one purpose, to destroy him. We're, We're to be united in one purpose, to go and rescue those. And we see them so divided. But anyway, the... We see them now, all of them completely surrounded. It's interesting when we have the right perspective on things, though, how it totally changes. Could totally be freaked out, and we're going to see that it has that effect on some. Nehemiah doesn't seem shaken by any of this, though, as he continues to move through. It's all a matter of perspective. There's a, a general in the Marines many, many years back named Chesty Puller. And he was quoted one time as saying, our enemy is in front of us. Our enemy is bef- behind us. We are flanked on both sides by the enemy. They have us outnumbered 29 to 1. They can't get away from us now.
1: Interesting at the perspective.
0: And they're surrounded. But as we continue to move through this again with that, that, Idea in mind as to what our mission is—to go and and reach the world with the gospel. We have to be careful that we don't misidentify the enemy. The enemy isn't the individual that may be coming against us. The enemy is the indi- the one who has control of the individual who is coming against. We need to understand that this is a war, and they're prisoners of war. And our role, our job, is to get behind the enemy lines and to rescue those that are deceived, that don't understand. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, in this battle that we're in, he says, finally be strong in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. The same is true back then. Sanballat Tobiah, yes, the enemy was controlling them, but it was a spiritual battle. The enemy enemy had no problem with the Jews just hanging out in the city. But once they started fortifying the walls and once they started staking their claim again, the enemy then came against them. Therefore, Paul continues, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. All of those fiery darts that come, extinguished again with the shield of faith. We walk by faith in this, in this walk that we're in, in this battle as we move forward, walking by faith. Our eyes need to change how we look at things, walking by faith. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Armed with the word of God, prayer. The enemy often uses confusion to try to, to ruin the work, to try to get involved in there. And again, putting up these different things instead of walking by what we see around us, walking by faith, total change of perspective. Notice again, verse nine, but we prayed, but we prayed. They doubled down in their efforts, but we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Notice prayer followed by action, prayer followed by By getting involved, doing something about it, he realized that that it was being cranked up. What they were they were coming and speaking and doing. So they were praying, but they also set up a guard against. Notice day and night, no let up, no time off. Peter says, "Be sober, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But resist him, firm in the faith." James says when we resist him, he will flee from us. And so we need to be praying, yes, but we need to be active and moving too. So often we can get stuck in one one, ditch on the other side of the road. I am so thankful, so grateful for people that when when things, things happen, things come up, difficulties arise, the first thing they say is, let's pray, let's pray. And I'm so thankful for those people in my life, prayer warriors in my life. But there are also those who, they get stuck there. And they pray and they say, well, what, 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 what are you supposed to do? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Hey, that's great, don't stop praying. But get to work, get to action too. If you're, if you're unemployed, pray. Lord, what would you have me do? But get out and look for a job, too. Get out there and, and, and do those things together. And in this action, praying, setting up a guard, and moving forward. Verse 10, we see this as it continues. There's, there, we see mockery, ridicule. We see intimidation as they, as they conspire together. But then we see here even discouragement leading to even complaining. Verse 10, thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. I don't know how far we are into this, but remember, 52 days total. So we're a couple of weeks in, and the wall's half built. And yet though, the ridicule that comes from the enemy as they conspire and there's more around there, the response goes to, man, I'm tired. There's just, there's just still too much to be done. I can't, keep, I can't keep moving on. I can't keep going. The enemies then pile on that. Verse 11, our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work then no doubt fear sets in as they hear the enemy now saying, okay, if you don't back down, we're gonna come in and we're gonna kill you. Reminds me of the fear that set in with the children of Israel. They had a promise. They had a promise that they were gonna enter the promised land. And it tells us in Numbers chapter 13 that they sent out the spies to spy out the land to, to check it all out, to see if everything God said was true, and to kind of spy everything out to go into there. And it tells us in verse 25 of Numbers 13, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they said to him, We went into the land where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It sure is just like they said everything is just like God promised. Nevertheless, or however, or but, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Yeah, it's what God said, but there's all of these giants in the land and and all of this other kind of stuff. And yeah, the wall's half built, but... They're ridiculing us and they're saying these things against us, and I'm tired and I, I can't keep going. <laughs> Verse 30, back in this time, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Why should we? We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Was that true? Absolutely it was true. They were way too strong for them. But the battle wasn't theirs anyway. The battle was the Lord's. And the the Lord was the one who told them to go. So they're not saying anything that's not true. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. The land through which they had gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw were men of great size. There, were also, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. And I read all of that to get to this, this point. Grasshoppers in our sight. Okay, that's, that was a the problem. They were looking at themselves only in themselves. They are grasshoppers. But in the Lord, they're invincible grasshoppers. They, the Lord calling them to do that. The, a child of God and the will of God using the power of God is invincible until God says, okay, you're done. I'm bringing you home. They said, we became like grasshoppers in our sight. But the problem is they said this, and so we were in their sight. How did they know that? That's just an assumption they made. Did they go up and ask them? Hey, how do you view us, by the way? No, that's just an assumption that they made based on what they saw with their physical eyes. They weren't walking by faith because the fact of the matter is the people that were in the land didn't view them as grasshoppers. As a matter of fact, in Joshua chapter two, when they finally do get into the promised land, this is how they viewed them. It says, It says, this Rahab, when they entered Jericho, Rahab the harlot there, meeting the spies, it says, now before uh, they lay down, she, she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know it. I know. You don't even have to tell me. I know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and when you did what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and beyond the Jordan and Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. That's the truth. But somehow they had convinced themselves because they weren't looking with the eyes of faith that this ridicule that was coming, the words that they were saying, the different, the different sticks and stones that were coming were real. They weren't looking through the eyes of faith. They weren't walking in faith. They were walking by sight. They were walking by what they heard and what they saw. And because of that, they became very discouraged. Judah came to the point of saying, I can't even go on anymore. I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. Verse 12, when the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where they, 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 you may turn. So the, the Jews living outside of the city saying, yeah, it's true. They say they're going to come and kill you. Then says they came 10 times. They kept coming over and over and over saying, they won't stop until you guys quit. Here's Nehemiah's response, verse 13. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, it was real. I saw it. He said, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't compare yourself to them. Don't try to fight back with them. Don't listen to what they're saying. Don't be afraid because God is with you. And remember how great and awesome our God is. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. God frustrated their plans. They knew it. Psalm 33, 10 and 11 says, God frustrates the plans of the nations. We look at all of this stuff going on around the world, all of the rhetoric back and forth, all of the leaders, you know, this Kim Jong-un and all of these others and the things that they're saying and all this kind of stuff. Bottom line, guys, The Lord can frustrate any of those plans at any time he wants. He is the one that's in control. The things that he allows, okay, he allows. But he can stop any of it at any time. That's the God we serve. That's the one we go forward fighting with, and he fights for us, frustrating the plans of our enemy. We give our enemy way too much credit. We, we, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and not just a little greater, by the way,
1: immensely greater, way, way, way greater. Frustrating their plans.
0: I do find it interesting, again, even in verse 15, that they don't run away, God doesn't send them away, he frustrates their plans. They're going to keep coming back, going to keep, keep working on and, and developing and even strengthening Nehemiah and the people more and more. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held spears and shields, the bows and the breastplates and the captains who were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the walls and those who carried burdens took their load in one hand doing the work and with the other holding a weapon. For the builders each wore his sword girded to his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and We are separated on the wall far from one another. So he lays out this plan. Here's what we're going to do going forward. The enemy's real. The enemy's coming against us. The enemy's continuing, going to go back and regroup. We're expecting them to come. We need to be prepared if they come again. So here's what we're going to do. And he lays out this plan. Now, was that trusting in divine protection? Or was that human ingenuity stepping in or was it a combination of both? I look at it as sanctified common sense. You know, God gives us a brain, and when we give him our brain and we say, Lord, I'm I'm in this and I'm working for this, I need wisdom, I need discernment, I need, I need to follow after, you know, I want to do this, everything. And then as we step forward, trusting that, okay, the Lord's leading in this, common sense. There's an army out there, and they have weapons. Not a problem for us to carry weapons while we work. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm not trusting the Lord. It just means that that we're we're using some common sense.
1: I've said it I've said it before a few times.
0: I am really really happy that on any given any given time including this right now, and I I don't know who they are. I don't need to know who they are, but that there are people in this Fellowship now and on Sundays and everything like that, that love me, that love my wife, that love my family, that love every single one of you,
1: and that are carrying guns.
0: I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, I, does that mean we don't trust the Lord? No, that's sanctified common sense. Anyway. I'm sure I'll get an email. Send it to jeff at ccsurprise.org. <laughs> at whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. I love that. I, that verse, I, I love that. that should, I hope that resonates with a lot of us. Whatever place you are, hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Guys, whatever we're doing... We need to be working for the Lord you know, and, and always, you know, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, have your ear tuned for that trumpet. And when we hear it, guess what? We're going to rally together. You don't know what I'm talking about. The next, the next event on the uh, eschatological calendar is the rapture, and we're going to hear that trumpet blast, and we're out of here. But anyway, hear the sound of the trumpet. Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Again, guys, note that. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah knew that God would be fighting for them. So we carried on the work, with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. This is, even, even when you're taking a break, even when you're resting, even when you're sleeping, we're all on guard continually. Sleeping with your weapons, working with your weapons, all all set to go. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon, even to the water, never letting their guard down. Focusing on the work, realizing that the enemy is real and coming after them. Bottom line, I guess, just to tie this together here, in just a couple minutes, guys. Every step we take, everything that we go through,
1: the work that we do,
0: the work that we do for the Lord, how we pray, how we interact with one another, how we deal with things as they come, how we face discouragement. It's,
1: it's all a matter of what lens we're looking through. Are we looking through
0: the lens of faith? Trusting in the Lord? Or are we looking at through the lens of discouragement? Through, through the, the lens of, of our, our feelings and emotions? Because they're real. I, I totally understand that. Totally understand that. I, I feel it myself. Discouragement when it comes. The enemy... I, you got you, you, you to believe me. The enemy brings that to me a hundred times a week. Discouragement. And, and doubt. And, and all of those things. But I have to look again through the eyes of faith. It says, Lord, you're the one who called me here. This wasn't my idea. And, and same thing with Nehemiah. It wasn't his idea. The Lord placed this burden on his heart. The Lord was the one who moved through this. And And so continuing to to walk forward that faith believes God. Discouragement believes the world. Discouragement believes the enemy. And we're called again to walk by faith. Hebrews chapter 10 leading into the Hebrews 11, which is the, the hall of faith. It says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very little while, he is coming. He who is coming will come and will not delay. There it is again. It's happening, guys, very soon. But verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but to those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And chapter 11 begins now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. One of my favorite trivia, Bible trivia questions is who's the first person mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith? And we could spend a few minutes and have you guess, and most people will guess, you know, Noah or Abraham or. Enoch and if they, and maybe Abel, but bottom line is verse 3 tells us the first people mentioned in the hall of faith by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith we believe that. By faith we move forward. By faith we believe that everything that we see around us was made from nothing. God spoke it into existence from nothing. We believe that by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I've heard it said that a man of faith sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, believes the incredible, therefore can do the impossible.
1: It's by faith. And we'll move into chapter 5 next week but just want to speak to anybody here tonight who is discouraged
0: who has come up against it the enemy you've believed the lie you've believed it or you've gotten caught up in it you've been you've 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 been taken out by it i want to encourage you tonight the enemy wants that's where the enemy wants you the enemy wants you ineffective the lord wants you to look to him to trust him and he wants you back in the battle he wants you back in in the fight he has work for you to do and again we got to know just like we talked on sunday it's going to keep coming it's going to keep coming and we have to we have to recognize that why should we be surprised like we talked about that on, on sunday why why should we be surprised as this these things come against us as some strange thing that was happening we need to know it's going to happen. It's going to come. But by the power of the Lord, and we move forward in the strength of his might, he can accomplish great things in and through us. So pray and get back to work. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. We thank you for the calling that you've placed upon us. We know as your children, Lord, that you have work for us to do. We know, that's a, we know that we still have work to do because we're still breathing. We're still here. And until you call us home, Lord,
1: we need to be about your business. But, Lord, the
0: reality is words do hurt, especially when they come from those close by, especially when it's, quote, unquote, friendly fire. And, Lord, our prayer tonight is for anybody who is hurting from those things. Lord, we know that you understand that and you're the God of all comfort. So would you comfort those hurts? Lord, we need to understand that that's that's a part of being in the battle. The battle is real, the scars are real, but our victory is certain. And so Lord, my prayer tonight is for anybody here tonight who is struggling through hurt, through discouragement, through disappointment, through intimidation. Anybody who is tired
1: and has felt like giving up. That you would simply trust your God tonight. Put it back into his hands completely. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you.
0: He wants to put you back into service. So just go before him tonight. And he knows where you are. Confess that to him. Lord, we know that as we we come to you in this, you are faithful. You are loving,
1: and you go before us. Lord, we pray that you would give
0: us even opportunities to live out your example, trusting the one who judges righteously. But Lord, we pray for those who persecute us. That's what your word tells us, that we are to be different in the world. We're to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. Lord, we even lift up those individuals now who have hurt us. Lord, would you speak to them? Would you convict them of their of areas in their life that, that need to be turned over to you, that need to be repented of? Lord, would you draw all people to yourself? Lord, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.